0: always honest often blunt and never afraid this is the narrative we're breaking away from the script to reveal the driving forces behind the most important and divisive issues facing our culture today i'm center for christian virtue president aaron bear and here with my co-host our policy director at ccv david mahan in this episode of the narrative uh, i'm really looking forward to this conversation with daryl harrison uh he's the host of the just thinking podcast Uh, and we're gonna be talking about the gospel and race uh, as we continue in this volume about race um, but before we dive into that we want to get into some of the big stories of the day and and uh, there's there's a lot going on i'll say uh, from from ccv's perspective here we're, we're in the middle of our, our state budget which is a, a big opportunity to get a lot of great policy done and and uh, and, and we've been uh, wrapped up in, in actually some some national newsmaking too around the, uh, the the save women's sports bill but we've talked about that bill quite a bit um, and there's a, a number of things going on all over the country all over the world that that I that really jumped out to me this past week, David, uh, and and I wanted to dive in uh, in on one of these things uh, in particular. Um, the first uh, story that I, that I that I really wanted to, to highlight is uh, the story about our, our Secretary of State uh, Anthony, uh, Anthony Blinken, um, who uh, Joe Biden's Secretary of State Blinken, uh, and he said that. Ah, uh, the United States will continue to counter discriminatory legal frameworks in a host of countries and step up U.S. support for grassroots LGBTQ organizations around the world. Wow, David. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like I, that's one of those things that where they say that is like, what, what does that actually mean? You know? Yeah. Um, but 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 it's it's one of these things that you know, I, I when I when I saw this story, it, it reminded me of, um. a a pro-life advocate activist I heard speak a few years ago from Africa who talked about how, uh, you know, under the Obama administration uh, and and their support for what was called the Mexico city policy or or their, their opposition rather of the Mexico city policy, which uh, opposed uh, us foreign aid dollars being used to promote abortion or perform abortions. um, You know, under the Obama administration, uh, they, they pushed abortion so much all over the world, not just in the country, but, but in, 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 you know, on continents like Africa and in all these countries that had in a lot of these countries had no context of, of really the abortion industry. Uh, and, and you saw them really bring this mindset uh, into these countries uh, that has led to the destruction of, of untold lives. And now we see this uh, happening uh, on, on, the, uh, on the LGBT issues. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, you, you've seen, uh, David, you've seen in the schools the way, uh, these these ideas get introduced uh, to to communities or get introduced to kids, uh, yeah. and then they kind of spread like viruses, you know.
1: Yeah, it's like you know, when you say a statement like discriminatory legal frameworks, you know, what does it mean? You know, I think what what doesn't it mean? I mean, you yeah. if, if if you can change, you know, if you come into this situation with the presuppositions that they're coming in with as. As uh, you know, you can change your gender, you know, uh, if you just look at the the, the safe act that, that we're working on, um, you know, where we're using off label uh, medications and for, you know, to actually help kids block their puberty, yep. uh, 16, 18, you know, if, if, if that's what we're, if that's the starting point, then now you have to look at that as healthcare. Yeah. That that if we don't give these kids uh, the, the health care that they need uh, to change their gender, if, as if that were possible. Well, then now we have to put in place discriminatory legal frameworks. Uh, I, I think there's no end to what you know that term could mean and how it makes those that are
0: actually on the righteous side of this look as if they were not right, and and, and now. Now we're taking that mindset of that this is what healthcare is, and we're exporting it all over the world. You know, again, I I, when when I first saw this, uh, and it's something my wife and I have talked a lot about. You know, you flash back to the early two thousands when uh, George Bush, you know, was accused of of being on a a crusade of exporting democracy. You know how how terrible it was for George Bush to be trying to force American values on uh, on foreign countries and 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 all these types of things and. And but and now apparently it's okay to to force American values uh, on foreign countries as long as those values are are wokeness are are you know uh, this this transgender medicine ideology and uh, and abortion and things like that I mean it it went so far as to uh, you know flying a, a pride flag uh, at the Vatican for this this past month I mean they're really the the, the disrespect that 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 presents I mean imagine uh, going to a, 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 and of course they're only doing it in, in uh, you, I only saw them doing this in Rome. I, I didn't see them doing flying pride flags in Middle Eastern countries, uh, where the reaction might have been a lot more uh, maybe violent. Um, but here, yeah. but you know th- just how offensive that is to 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 do that to 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 the Vatican. You know,
1: right? Yeah, you know, I, I don't even um, it's it's the moral argument that's being laid out that uh, that these folk these policies and frameworks are actually helping people that um that that those that are opposing these experimental uh drugs these experimental processes and experimental theories and philosophies that we are the ones that have no moral authority now uh, and, and and sadly enough to the context that, that we're going to be working in today uh how the body of Christ has adopted many of these these theories and philosophies uh you know putting politics before even our biblical worldview is probably even more scary to me uh
0: than his discriminatory legal frameworks yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well, next, I want I want to move to. Uh, uh, we're we're going to stay sort of internationally focused here, uh, David. And I want to to jump to a story that uh, that that was you know a picture that was going all over the internet, especially last week, but into this week. It was a picture of of Gwen Berry, uh, who uh, came in, uh, I believe it was uh, third place in in one of the Olympic uh, trials. Uh, to heading up to Tokyo, and you saw her uh, on the podium. The 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 first and second place winners had their hands over their heart while the national anthem was playing, and then you saw Gwen just kind of standing there looking disgruntled um, as the as the anthem played. Uh, and it was for her, it was a, it was a sign of protest uh, because against the, the United States, and and she was upset that uh, that they dared to play the national anthem as they p- prepared to go represent America at the Olympics. I know you had a few thoughts on this one, David.
1: For sure. You you know, and I, I, there's a couple ways to look at this. And um, when, when you hear it in the media, uh, they tend to to spin their extreme one way versus the other, but, but I see it as was it right versus was it, was it something that was within her, her bounds to do Uh, it? Was that her right? Was that her free speech? Right. To do that. You know, yeah, apparently it is. However, uh, just because it might be within her free speech right to do, was that a wise and effective use of her free speech right? It, it just brought me to, to mind of uh, Jesse Owens, who, who many of us know ran for Ohio State back in the 30s. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about racism, you talk about disparities. He had to fight all of that. Uh, you know, Jim Crow laws, all of that. And, and uh, there was there was an episode uh, that, that he went through with some of the Urban Leagues and NAACPs uh, that told him that that the way he should protest is is, uh, to not go to Berlin, uh, Nazi Germany, uh, Hitler's Berlin and compete, that that was supposed to be the way he protested. And honestly, if you're going to protest, I think that's the way to do it. You know, why would you go all the way to the Olympics uh, to run and compete for a a country and all of its people, and then dishonor that country's flag. I, I just don't see wisdom in that, but I, there was a, you know, when 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 Jesse Owens won the four medals, uh, you know, you have that in, in, you know, several years later in the 60s, uh, you had the guys that stood on the podium and put up the uh, their fists in protest, um, black power, and, and, and you know, protest. And this is what he said to those guys. Uh, he said, these kids, are imbued with the idea that there's a great ideal of injustice in our nation. In their own way, they were trying to bring out uh, what is wrong in the country. I told them that the problem certainly belonged in the uh, continental borders of America. This was the wrong battlefield. Uh, Not that they didn't have a good point, but this was the wrong battlefield. This was the wrong way to do it. And um, their running performances would have done more to alleviate the problem rather than the dis- disrespect they showed to our flag and the discourtesy shown to the Mexican government. I feel the way that, I, and I agree with him, I feel the way that Jesse Owens went about his protest was to honorably uh, get out there and, and strive for excellence, celebrate excellence, advocate for the opportunity of others to achieve excellence. Uh, and if you look at his legacy several years later, we're still talking about him and, and what he did and Uh, And we all know his name. The the question will be, what will be uh, Gwen's legacy uh, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now based on her approach? And uh, I would say that we'd probably still be talking about Owens and not Gwen.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I I think the thing for me, whenever I see something like like what she did there, um, first and foremost you know, it was it was the antithesis of what it means to uh, be participating in the the Olympics, um, which is, you know, the, the the idea that you're not really there for yourself; you're there on behalf of your country. That's right. Like that that's that's why we all get excited about watching the Olympics, is it's like these are the people from our country that are representing us there. Um, and and the move she made was very clearly, you know. And she got what she wanted she wanted her her headlines she wanted her stories about about her and look, look, look who, who who she is she made this the, the narrative about herself yeah uh, instead of about you know the the, the opportunity that the 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 blessing it is to represent a nation such as ours to the world
1: yeah and you know she could have you know she could have made that point by not going she'd have got her press yeah. release she'd have done her rounds on all CNN and MSNBC's uh, and, and those other two uh women who who outperformed her, by the way, uh, yeah. we would have known their names, right. uh, but because she did it another way, we don't know their names, uh, and their achievements were overshadowed by Gwen's behavior, yeah. No, that's right, yeah. And and
0: that's the the, the yeah, there. Well we'll, well, we'll jump on from that one, but there, there's so much to 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 unpack there, and, and I'll just say too. I guess the last thing, and this is something we talk a lot about at CCV, um, which is, it's really, and both sides do this uh, uh, in the political debate. It's really easy to to make moves to rile up your side, um, but I will tell you that the people that that Gwen would likely say are the ones that are still actively, you know, uh, being racist or 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 supporting oppressive policies. What she did at the Olympics um, will do absolutely nothing to change their mind um, and will will actually ingrain them more ingrain, uh, right. in their position, uh, which, which again, makes it all the more clear that this wasn't about making a difference on the issues. Um, this this was about, you know, ma- making a name for yourself. And, and and that can only go so far. Um, actually, David, I'm going to pivot off of our show notes here and go into a, a thir- third topic here because. Uh, as, as I was thinking here and we were talking, there, there was one thing uh, that, that I, I really wanted to make sure we touch on, and, and it has to do with our, uh, our state budget that I, that I mentioned uh, leading off with, um, which was we got a number of, uh, and, and again, whether you're in Ohio or you're elsewhere, this is, I think this is important because this is a part of a movement that we need to see happening all over the country. We got a number of provisions in our state budget to expand educational opportunities for families. Um, and, and I think about the reason why I I, I kind of pivot here to this is these last two stories only go all the further to make me think, uh, you know, school choice generally um, is the, the movement uh, that uh, is the issue that uh, I feel like so much of what we talk about today goes back to, uh, you know, whether it's the transgender issue, uh, the sexuality issue, whether it's uh, what, whether it's race or just sort of an anti-American mindset. Right. Um, you know so much of these things today have their roots in education. Um, and, and, you know, as we've been pushing really hard in Ohio with a lot of our allies here uh, and nationally for, for school choice. And as we are about to make a really hard push for what we call the backpack bill, which is universal eligibility for school choice programs, like a voucher or like an empowerment scholarship account. Um, it, I feel like the, the, all roads lead back to this because if we're not talking school choice, we're not really talking about fixing the issue, you know? Right. Yeah. It, it, it um, and I, I wasn't
1: going to bring this up and, until you, um, uh, went this, this route, but, uh, as we're talking about critical race theory and everything, uh, you know, and, and folks are looking at this issue as it's something new. Um, I've been probably for the last eight to 10 years have sat in classrooms in the mornings, Uh, in our inner cities all across the country. And during um, the Pledge of Allegiance, nobody will be standing, Black or white, in the entire class, which which says that, yeah, you have some that are are protesting, and then you have some that probably wouldn't protest, but they feel pressured uh, to come in agreement and not honor uh, their own country. Um, And that just speaks to kind of your point of you know, it, it, we need choice. You know, do we want our children being raised in an environment where they're being pressured to adopt values and beliefs, and/or the lack thereof? Um, you know, uh, day in and day out, every week. And and I think until parents have some more choice in the matter, then they have, uh, then then some more voice in the matter, then, then they'll never have any any choice. The schools will never have to listen to them. Ah, uh, policy can only take us so far, and um, and and the people need to be able to have as many choices as possible to be that voice and to kick back against some of those policies that are going rogue, like we just read about with the Biden
0: administration. No, and 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 that's again that that's what ultimately gets it back to me on these things is is this is all just about accountability, um, and and who who are the who's the education system accountable towards? How, how is it going to become more responsive to parents? Uh, and the reality is it's, it's not going to become more responsive, no. uh, until those schools know that if, uh, they're not meeting the kids need, uh, they're going to up and leave. I mean, this is the thing that I always, my, my favorite, uh, argument back, uh, against the backpack bill or any school choice bill is the public schools and, and their advocates will always say, Oh, well, if, you know, if this passes, we're going to lose all these kids and, and, And my thing is, well, why are you saying that? Because the way any school choice program works, the public school is still the first option for every family there. Every kid is assigned to a public school and no one's going to force that family to take their kid out of that public school. It's actually going to take them more work to choose choice than to just send them to the public school. That's right. And the only reason why a public school should be worried about losing a whole bunch of kids is if they know they're not meeting their kid, those kids needs, or they're not being responsive to parents. And so, Um, so again, you know, this is something we're going to always be talking a lot about because it's the biggest issue I think, uh, facing our country today when, when you have, you know, 85 to 90% of the kids uh, in the country, in the public education system, uh, and you look at what's being taught to kids today and you look at how long we've been trying to deal with this curriculum issue and it's gotten so much worse than we could have ever imagined.
1: Tell me about Um,
0: it. it, right. It all comes back to it. Uh, so We're going to take a quick break here, but don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Uh, When we get back, we're going to have uh, our special guest, Daryl Harrison, on to talk about the gospel and race. Center for Christian Virtue seeks the good of our neighbors by advocating for public policy that reflects the truth of the gospel. We empower people like you to have a voice in the culture on the most important political and cultural issues of the day. Through our public policy advocacy, grassroots activism, Church Ambassador Network, Ohio Christian Education Network, and Christian Business Partnership, there are countless ways for you to get involved. Join the movement today by visiting ccv.org or by clicking the link in the show notes. That's ccv.org and click join the network. Stories are a way we relate to one another. It's hard to underestimate their importance. Wesler Media is here to help you preserve those stories that you hold dear. We'll produce a personal podcast, an audio scrapbook, that will preserve those memories for generations to come. Get in touch today. Call toll-free or text 1-833-38-STORY, one 38 story or visit Weslermedia.com. That's W-E-S-S-L-E-R-Media.com. And we're back on The Narrative. This is your host, Aaron Baer, with my co-host, David Mahan, and we're joined by Daryl Harrison to talk about the relationship between race and the gospel. I'm excited to have Daryl on. He serves as the dean of social media at Grace to You, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. John MacArthur. Daryl has a blog called Just Thinking for myself, which has more than 22,000 subscriber subscribers, and is a lead host of the Just Thinking podcast, which I cannot recommend enough that you check out. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation with Daryl, but he has so much more content uh, for you to dive into, and there's more than. Uh, Three million episodes downloads of the Just Thinking podcast. Uh, Daryl, along with his podcast host, Virgil Walker, have their first of three books being published with Founders Press, scheduled to be released in August of 2021, entitled Just Thinking About the State. Daryl also has his first book being published in the fall, entitled The Sin of Partiality, Biblical Reflections on Issues of Ethnic Prejudice. He and his wife, Melissa, reside in Valencia, California, and they have three adult children. Daryl, thanks for joining us.
2: What's up, Aaron?
0: What's up, David? Good to be with you guys, man.
2: You as well.
1: I've been excited about this one.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And, and Darrell, I'll just say, you know, I've, we've covered a lot of ground so far on, on this volume on race, um, but I've really been looking forward to this conversation because I, I feel like uh, everything else that we're talking about, if we can't get this right, if we can't understand what the Bible has to say about race, what, what the gospel has to see, teach about race, then everything else in our conversation is, is going to get off. Um, so I, kind of want to start super high level with you, uh, and, and, and work down from there of, you know, what, what, what does the Bible teach about race? What does, does the Bible speak specifically about race? Maybe even as we understand race in America today, but what, what does the Bible have to say about race?
2: Yeah. So the Bible does speak to race, but not in the same context as the culture speaks about it. So I think that's one thing we need to make clear right off the bat. You will see the word race in scripture. Uh, But when scripture uses the term race, it's using it strictly in a biological term, as in terms uh, in the context of type, a type of a a type of existence, if you will. So when scripture talks about race, it's talking about a genus, the the Greek word there is genus, a type. Okay, so when it talks about uh, you and me, Aaron, David, as being uh, creations who bear God's image is talking about race in terms of a type. Uh, When you look at the history of that word race, uh, especially before the culture got a hold of it in terms of uh, uh, a a social cultural context, the word race was actually used to describe types of plants, types of animals. Uh, So scripture uses that term in that biological context, which is the original and the proper, let alone say biblical, context, and we should use the term, we should not be using the term in the same context as the culture uses it, which goes from anywhere from having common uh, ideologies to talking about power structures within society. Uh, Culture has totally robbed that word and kidnapped it of its original biological context, let alone a scriptural context. So scripture, again, does speak to race, but not, not anywhere close to the same uh, distinction and meaning and context that the culture uses the term, biblically, race is a type. It represents a type, just like I alluded to earlier. We are a human race. There are races of plants. There are races of animals. So we look at it in the terms of, in the context of type, and nothing else beyond that.
0: So when when we start in that from from that framework, then Daryl, um, and we. We kind of bring that into our, our cultural conversation that we're having today, especially in, in again, I think there, there's a lot of, um, you know, false claims people make about the church uh, and Christians generally today about how we, we don't want to talk about our, our nation's uh, racial history or the racial tensions our, our, our nation has had. But we, we I, one that's that's just a, a, a false claim to make. But a lot of times it's, it's we want to have the conversation in, in the proper context. What, what would be the proper context for today when we're talking about, you know, may, maybe the differences between the black community and the white community or the tension that people say that probably that's probably the better place is to say the tension that people are uh, are perceiving between the black community and the white community.
2: Yeah. Uh, f- first of all, I think I have to dispel the very concept of black community. I have to dispel that right away, because when we're talking about tensions, what you're talking about is, is really what the Bible describes as a sin issue, the sin nature, the human nature. So we're talking about aspects of human nature. Uh, so when the culture, when we look at, at tensions in the culture, we're not looking at ethnic tensions. We're not looking at racial disharmony. If there's disharmony to whatever extent, it's disharmony between individuals at the heart level. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything in community with you. If I don't agree with you, first of all, spiritually, meaning biblically, and I may not disagree with you. I may not with you ideologically, politically, social, culturally, or any of those areas. So the whole idea that I share a common shade of melanin with a person, that that brings me a community with that person. We need to go ahead and defeat that and d- just deconstruct that idea uh, once and for all. But that's what most people mean when they use the term black community or white community. They're talking about people who share a common shade of melanin and, and that being the only uh, caveat for fitting within those two categories. But they, they, go, they go nowhere uh, beyond that, in terms of talking about a shared worldview, a shared ideology, a shared uh, theology. Uh, so we need to put some 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 more very narrow, very uh, strict boundaries around those terms. But when we look at tensions that exist in society, th- these tensions really are nothing new. What we're involved in here, Aaron, is a conflict of worldviews. This is what we're looking at. We're looking at a conflict of worldviews, where people are essentially trying to create their own view of heaven on earth. This is what we're looking at here. So when you're looking at uh, someone who says, well, America has yet to address address this history of what they, and I put, use the word race, racial and race in air quotes, someone, for someone to assert that America has not addressed its racial past, its past uh, history of racial prejudice. Well, th- that's absolutely a lie. That's, that's, there's no other way I can say that when you look at. Uh, America's history, legislatively, uh, uh, from a governance standpoint, uh, there are all kinds of constitutional amendments that have been passed. There is the Voting Rights Act that that was passed in the 60s, the Civil Rights Act that was passed in the 60s. You've got the Reconstruction Amendments to the Constitution, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment that were passed. Um, the uh, abolishment and elimination of Jim Crow laws, the black codes no longer exist, the pig laws no longer exist. So for someone to say just offhand that America today is just as racist in 2021 as it was in 1861, is just a flat out lie. It's just a flat out lie. However, you've got people out there who have this sort of uh, uh, utopianistic view of America, whereby, they they, they they they're, they're sort of uh, uh, imparting onto America because America doesn't yet uh, uh, look like this sort of uh, multicultural intersectional utopia that they would like it to be that that, that, that because that's not reality for them they want to uh, imbibe upon this nation the same uh, uh, Ethnic mindset that existed 160 years ago. That's right, and that's not true. So what we have to do is we 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 need to be able to, as Christians, be able to know our history, let alone know our Bibles well enough to be able to push back against these presuppositions, these false presuppositions that have no basis in fact whatsoever. You know, uh, and I appreciate
1: that. I you know, there seems to be this 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 gap between. Um, it, I, I don't know if it's race more or, or class. I mean, I, I've been all over the country. I've had the privilege over the last twenty some years to work in, in communities all over the country, um, from from reservations to you know inner city, rule all over. Um, uh, and, and I'm and I see it in terms of uh, you know what we're hearing being posited to uh, or attributed to race i'm i'm seeing more as class uh the the same frustrations i'm hearing from poor blacks i'm hearing from poor whites right um you know and, and i think that it's just kind of being targeted all to to race causing a division i mean if you look at some of our uh our our mixed race churches congregations across the country everything is fine until it's time to vote you know in in the in the, the barber shop we all in agreement you know but when you know p- political season comes up that's where you know we tend to kind of divide um uh, uh on 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 ideological things and so do you see it as really a a race issue or more of a class issue um that this you know kind of being blown up as race
2: yeah that's a great question david I, and uh i don't mean to commute, confuse your listeners by my response to your question but i think it's both And I'm gonna explain what I mean by that. First of all, I think what we've done with the current narrative uh, that we're hearing in the culture and in society today, they've uh, sort of, uh, they've converted the word race from a noun to a verb. And what I mean by that is that they're applying a definition and a context to the word race so that it seems that race has its own intrinsic innate power to make someone think believe a certain way Uh, and and this is this is just a a resemblance of why is it so important to define our terms race is a social construct race has no basis in biological fact scientific fact let alone theological fact you've got even critical race theories theorists rather who have acknowledged that race is a social construct so what we're really digging down to when we talk about race We're talking about attitudes about how a person looks. We're talking about attitudes about a person's sociocultural status. We're talking about attitudes that we have about people who are different uh, from us. This This is really biblically what it boils down to. What do we think in our hearts about people who don't look like us, who don't live in the same zip code, who don't uh, eat the same or like the same foods, who don't have the same jobs, who, who, who we don't have anything in common with. In our hearts, what are we thinking about this person? So when, 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 when society says, yeah, race is the problem, well, first of all, you need to define race. You need to find what's the problem. And then be, before we can even have a conversation, we have to answer those two questions. What do you mean by race? And what do you mean the problem? See, the problem is presupposed upon a myth. And the myth is this, and we're getting this wrong in the church as well. The myth is this, the myth is that the gospel is about material equality in society, that there should be no disadvantages, no unfairness, no injustice whatsoever. And the fallacy of that worldview is that the gospel addresses a sinful world. So how in the world can you expect uh, perfect equality, perfect justice? Perfect fairness in the world in a world that by definition is imperfect. Yeah. So, so so that's one aspect of it. So when I say both, yeah, it's both. It's been one reason is because we've misconstrued this idea of, of race and sort of given life to it. It's dynamic now. It's not static. Race causes problem. It's not the heart. It's not what I think, it's not my mind, it's not my sin nature that's causing these problems, it's race, it's something existential outside of us that's in society that we can fix. And then second of all, again, is that myth where we have within evangelicalism especially, where we've got this idea that the gospel is some sort of moralistic template to make this world better. And I, I, that, that's a frustrating point for me, because that's not what the gospel is about. Because when you, when you look at the gospel that way, you really have to stop calling it the gospel. If you see the Bible, God's word, uh, the message of the gospel as merely a sort of uh, moralistic template to call people to behave better, then what you've done is placed God's word, the Bible, and Christianity on the same level as Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Taoism, all these other moralistic uh, worldviews that leaves it up to us to better ourselves. Okay, but the gospel is the only only worldview that addresses the root cause. This is why it's so important to challenge folks to define, well, what do you think the problem is? Well, the problem is not inequality. The problem is not unfairness. The problem is an injustice. The problem is our sin that results in those things. You see, so So yeah, that's why I say it's both. It's both, race is the issue. And then it's also class. There's gonna be classes. There's gonna be classism in a sinful world. This world is not intended to have every, when you think about it, David, think about this. People talk about uh, equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. Do you really know how impossible that is? How impossible it is to give every person the same opportunity? So we got these things right. The Olympic trials are going on right now as we record this uh, interview. Now, for me, I used to run track in school. I was a sprinter. I ran the 100, the 200 and the 400 relay. Now, right now, though, just because I used to run track, do you think I can step on a track right now and qualify for the Olympic Games? No. Should I be allowed to should I be allowed that opportunity to run uh, in the Olympic trials to try to make the Olympic team just because I say I want to do that? No, no, there's got to be some some parameters. There's got to be some some boundaries here. Right, uh, but right. to the very idea of equal opportunity is fallacious. It's impossible on its face to accomplish something like that. And the gospel has never been about that. But well, we've got people in evangelicalism within the church who view the gospel as some sort of moralistic way to make sure that this world becomes more fair. It's not going to happen.
0: Uh, amen. Well, and again, I think even to the way when when what you started off there talking about uh, the gospel in, in this context of of uh, of of injustice, and and I mean, if you think about what 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 the. What the good news actually is of the gospel it, it, it started off with, with one of the gravest injustices of all time of jesus going to the cross for our sin uh and 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 bearing you know the, there could be nothing more unjust than a and an innocent right. that's man the,
2: that's the most blatant example of the <laughs> in the history of the world
0: yeah and and and, and that, but that even further and 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 i want to get into critical race theory here just, just for a minute um and and really um you know you, you have some folks today uh, you know, there there are folks, uh, obviously. I, I think on on the far left that would that, that think critical race theory is a biblical concept, and I, I think that a lot of that is 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 really easily knocked out. But then you have some folks uh, that are writing things about, you know, let, let's let's eat the meat and spit out the bones of, of critical race theory. Um, and and you know, from from your perspective, Daryl, is is there anything in critical race theory uh, that Um, maybe is only found in critical race theory that we can't get any place else that that would make Christians want to turn to something like that for for understanding God's word better no no and and why I guess no
2: because critical race theory is the most hateful revengeful vengeful uh, worldview that I've ever come across Uh, this this takes the critical race theory takes the worst of Marxism the worst of socialism the worst of Communism, and then tries to convince you that this is a this this is a world a worldview that is of benefit to teach to your children for you to learn for yourself. But uh, 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 but when you dig into the the critical race theory material, what you see is is that it's about revenge. This is about vengeance. This is a critical race theory. Is as 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 much as their supporters try to posit critical race theory as, well, this is just another way to look at history. Well, see, history is static. History is what it is. History, The reality of history is what it is. It cannot be changed. But when you look at critical race theory, critical race theory is a presuppositional worldview that intrinsically applies hateful motives to you, people like you, Aaron, especially, Uh, It it, it assumes hateful motives, which by definition means it's looking into your heart. It's looking into your heart. It's it's applying hateful motives to you. It's applying to you realities that you have not experienced. Uh, We talked about um, uh, earlier, we talked about poor, poor Black people and poor white people. Well, in critical race theory, no white person is poor. No white person has ever suffered. No white person has ever had to struggle. Uh, for anything. But this is this is one of the presuppositions of critical race theory. So we talk about class, David. Critical race theory takes the Marxist idea of classism, mm-hmm. and then, if you can say this in this way, it improves our, our Marxist classism by driving down to the intersectional level. So it takes not only just Blacks and whites, but critical race theory also goes to LGBTQ, Male, it goes female. to immigrants, it goes, it's got all different kind of categories, and it's pitting those categories against one another. So critical race theory is neither critical, nor is it about race. It is about creating this sort of nirvonic, uh intersectional uh, society, where hegemonic powers are de- destroyed. And by hege- hegemonic, I mean, white people White power is destroyed. That power is taken away from white people and distributed across these intersectional categories of people. That's what critical race theory does. Uh, It has its roots in Marxism. It is undeniable, though they try to deny it. It is undeniable that critical race theory has its roots in Marxism. And the propagation of critical race theory has always been accomplished through educational institutions. That's why you're seeing school districts in America right now fight so fervently against critical race theory being taught in the schools. Because ever since the Frankfurt School, back in Germany in the 1930s, critical race theory was introduced at higher levels of academia. But now it's just a different educational pipeline that CRT is being piped through, even down right now to the kindergarten levels. So there's nothing redemptive about critical race theory nothing Uh, there is no need for any uh, professing christian to go outside of god's word for whatever they need to address these issues that critical race theorists bring up and again critical race theory is based in the presumption that even uh, american legal jurisprudence that has favored black people okay such as brown versus board of education the uh, Voting Rights and Civil Rights Act, that even those um, developments over uh, history in America were done for the benefit of white interests, not for the benefit of the minorities. So there's there's nothing redemptive about about critical race theory in my opinion. You, you,
1: you know, um, Ibram Kendi uh, has been speaking in churches mm-hmm. and like most cults, uh, they don't completely deny Jesus but he was a revolutionary. Right. And not a savior. And, right. uh, you know, that that if we want to if if we want to fulfill our, our call, our purpose, then we need to liberate, you know, everyone uh, through our activism. Is this CRT thing a religion? Because, you know, if, if it is rooted in Marxism, if it is rooted in socialism, um, you know, Marx Marx said religion is the opiate of the people. Uh, they talk about the hegemony. you know, the biggest part of the Gramsci, I think, was the one that said that that one of the biggest tools uh, of the hegemony was that they would use Christianity uh, to, you know, to to numb the people. And, and then he also said in the same thing is that socialism is the religion that must supplant Christianity. Right. Uh, you know, so is is this a religion? Is this why it is so appealing to believers because we can we can sense or smell a little bit of of a faith system in it that sounds so good uh but it's just
2: really a trojan horse. Yeah David, I like how you put that as a, in terms of a faith system. What we need to remember here is the only thing you need for something to become a religion is something to believe in. That's all you need. Hmm. That's all you need for something to re- you don't need a church building you don't need a congregation. All you need is an idol. All you need is a God. Okay. (laughs) And in this case, and in this case, critical race theory is a religion. It is a religion because all you, and I find, I find it interesting with respect to X. Kendi and this, this tour of uh, yeah, more liberal uh, Christian churches. Yeah. I, I will acknowledge that, but his sort of speaking tour on these churches, he, 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 he decries the idea of salvation theology. This is out of his own mouth. I decry salvation theology, but he subscribes to liberation theology. But I would ask Ibram Kendi, if I could, I would ask him one question. Okay, I get it. You don't subscribe to the same soteriology as I do, but what would be your response, Mr. Kendi, to why humanity needs to be saved? Hmm. why Why you do subscribe to a salvation you do subscribe to one you just don't subscribe to the same one i do so i would ask abram kennedy you know root cause why do you think society needs to be saved uh so I, I and i think that's the that's the that's a theological gap that's left with respect to someone like kennedy who subscribes to liberation theology why is it that salvation is necessary for society to begin with, even if you argue that society can save itself, which he, which he does. He, he is arguing in liberation theology that humanity has the power within itself to save itself. But when you look at that, what a liberation theologist is arguing uh, fundamentally is that we have to save ourselves from ourselves. We have to save ourselves from ourselves. So again, I was ask him, well, why is that? What is the problem with humanity that we have to save ourselves from ourselves? And the the, the only answer to that question is found in the gospel. It's Romans 3.23. It's Romans 5.12. Through one man, sin entered into the world mm-hmm. and sin, death entered as a result. So liberation theology doesn't answer that question. So I, I, again, uh, the, the challenge for us as Christians is when we hear someone like an Ibrahim X. Kendi is to not take his comments on face value. We have to be courageous enough to respond and push back with our own questions, with our own questions. Uh, And that's one of the questions I would have for someone like a a Kendi. So yes, critical race theory is a religion in that it has its own God. And in that case, it's the God of skin color, it's the God of melanin, because critical race theory unarguably is uh, bent towards the benefit of brown and black people at the total disregard of white people. Uh, so yes, it is a it is a religion in that it has a faith, it has a faith view, it has an eschatology in that the end goal is to create this multicultural intersectional nirvana where people who fit within those categories have the power and white people don't. It has a salvation, uh, a soteriology in that uh, uh, America and the world uh, coming up under the banner of what they deem to be justice, equality, and equity—that that's a fully orb salvation. So it has all the elements of any other yeah. religion when you really look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I appreciate that. It's funny as we're talking here and, and, and thinking about critical race theory as a as a religion. I, yeah i mean even and, and you going back to something you mentioned earlier about you know critical race theory being about vengeance um there there's nothing more antithetical to the gospel which you know means good news um than critical race theory because what 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 is the good news well the the, the good news is redemption the good news is is grace mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that that's what the, the, the if if you boil down what what, the, what why do we celebrate uh you know easter it's that like, hey we we have uh, we have, you know, salvation through our faith. Now, uh, we mm-hmm. can be forgiven and, and critical race theory is a, is a mindset of, uh, sort of perpetual, uh, accusations, uh, per, mm-hmm. per, you know, yeah. perpetual condemnation, um, again, something more that, that could not be more antithetical to, to the actual gospel, um, Daryl, I, I now want to have a conversation that'll probably get me into a little bit of trouble, um, but those are the best ones to have uh, as we're winding down our conversation with you here. Um, and, and something that that that, hit, that hits close to home uh, for, for me, because um, you and I uh, have very similar sort of denominational backgrounds um, just from me following you for a while here. Um, and that is, you know, for the last maybe 10 15 years maybe even longer there's been a real um movement in reformed churches uh especially a youth movement in reformed churches about going into uh sort of inner cities and church planning and and getting out of the suburbs and and but it was real you know focused on expositional preaching and 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 taking god's word real seriously and and you know there there's there's been a number of of writers and thinkers and, and folks that um, really we're we're making a a point hey we're gonna take the bible really seriously here um and uh, and it, that that was a movement i very much uh you know found myself a part of uh and 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 being in and yet over the last you know three four years uh, you know maybe back to twenty sixteen when donald trump became president um I started seeing some real cracks uh, in this movement and and it, it's in this movement that i've i have seen uh, the most amount of churches uh, adopt critical race theory or fall into that. Um, what what happened? <laughs> where, where where did this come from? How how did you know? From, from your perspective, how did we get here? What what went wrong? What did we learn about? And, and not to say this movement is that you know a lot of these churches are still striving, and a lot of these churches didn't fall into. A lot of the churches that were a part of that have not fallen into it, but. A lot of the churches that I have seen adopt sort of the critical race theory mentality, go all in on the racial conversation, um, have come out of that uh, sort of that movement. What what happened there?
2: Yeah, two things happened, Aaron, uh, as I listen to you. Two things come to mind. Number one, <clears throat> we stopped believing that the gospel was powerful. We stopped believing that. We don't believe in the church that the gospel is power is innately powerful to do what the gospel says is powerful enough to do. Um, so that, that's number one. Number two is that the gospel became a movement. It ceased being a message. Mm-hmm. So when the message becomes a movement, that's exactly what you get. That's exactly what you get. You get people getting fired up for the wrong reasons, for the wrong motives, you know, out on a mission. Yeah. Let's, let's be part of this movement here. But the, the, the gospel has never been a movement. The, the gospel has always been a message. You know, I think about Matthew chapter one, verse 21, <clears throat> here we are, uh, as professing Christians, um, acknowledging Jesus Christ as our Lord. But in Matthew 21, uh, it tells us that Jesus was named Jesus, not because he was some revolutionary. He got that and he was given that name because it says in that very verse, because he will save his people from their sins. This is why I'm so dogmatic about saying Christ didn't come to save society. He came to save sinners. That's right. But we're, but 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 when you ask what happened there is well, well, well because we've, we 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 are ignorant about what the gospel is. I'll add a third one. We're ignorant about what the gospel is. We're ignorant about what Christ came to do. We're ignorant about um, um, the power of the gospel and how God providentially ordains the, the gospel to work in the world, which is one heart at a time. And then number four, we've not we we we've got this sort of. Uh, uh, blissful idea that jesus came in the gospel the purpose of the gospel is to just sort of save the save society to just make society better and when you look at you don't even have to go to revelation for this you can just read in the epistles the epistles are clear that this world is passing away this first john two fifteen. why are we trying to save a world that that god himself says is passing away that the apostle Peter says being reserved for destruction by fire, where revelation talks about God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Why, why, why do we think again, Jesus, the moralist, Jesus, not Jesus, not the deity, not the, not the redeemer, Jesus, the revolutionary, Jesus, the moralist, the gospel is moralism. The gospel is just a set of rules. Do this, don't do that. But as I've repeatedly said, if people who view the gospel as moralism, as a movement, then Jesus didn't need to come. You can accomplish everything within the social justice movement, everything within CRT, without the gospel. You can accomplish everything because it's just moralism. It's just, let's do this, let's stop doing that. But that's not the gospel. So again, Aaron, to answer your question, four things. We're ignorant about the gospel. We've uh, allowed the gospel to become a movement as opposed to a message. We, we've come to not believe that the gospel is powerful enough um, where God monergistically by his Holy Spirit works in the hearts of sinners to change hearts and, uh, and thereby working his gospel, working in the world from the inside out, not the outside in. And then number four. We just have no idea who Jesus is. We just have no clue who he is and why he came. So those four things. When you ask me what happened, those are at least four things that have happened.
1: You know, gentlemen, a, a half truth sometimes is worse than a full lie. Uh, Tara Yasso said that um, some somehow she expressed that experiential knowledge is superior and has become now the arbiter of truth. Uh, It brings me to mind of a scripture that says uh, we become overcomers by two things, the word of our testimony, right, which we see a lot of in the push for for conversation and, and talking about, you know, our experiences, the experimental truth side, but not just conversation, not just the word of our testimony. It's the blood of the lamb. And the word of our testimony. But but they take half of that and they really kind of play that out. And it's like whenever somebody tries to come in, whether it's a scholarly approach or a pastoral approach, you know, to say, wait a minute, you know, I hear what you're saying, but there's something more to this. Then now you're trying to squelch. You're trying to crush the conversation. Why don't you want to talk about slavery? Why don't you want to talk about Jim Crow? Why don't you want to express, Black man, you know, some of the things you experienced when you were younger or your family have experienced? Why are you running from these truths? And it's not that we're running from these truths. We just, we just, we just embrace the first part, the blood of the lamb right. that we have overcome all of that. Right. right? right. Not by talking and, and conversating and having white guilt and, you know, but, but putting faith in Christ right. who really bore the cross to pay a penalty and a debt that I could not afford. Right. I didn't deserve it. It was what I got. Right. And uh, and and I'm so thankful for that. Um, but but it's important that folks understand, especially in our communities, our young people and our youth groups, this is more than a conversation. This is a power play. Uh, Ibram Kendi, uh, Ibram S. Kendi said um, in, in his uh, how to be an uh, an anti-racist to fix the original sin of racism. Again, the religious construct here. Americans should pass an anti-racist amendment to the U.S. Constitution that enshrines two guiding uh, anti-racist principles. Number one, racial inequity is evidence of racist policy, right? So if there's any inequities anywhere, it's because somebody or some system was racist, and the different racial groups are equals. The amendment would, this is important, the amendment would make unconstitutional racial inequity, uh, inequity over a certain threshold, uh, as well as racist ideas by public officials, It would establish a permanently funded uh, Department of Anti-Racism, established permanently, uh, you know, within the government. The DOA would be responsible for uh, pre-clearing all local, state and federal public policies to ensure that they will not yield racial inequity. This is a power struggle here. Yeah, that is being, you know, kind of, you know, this like religious thing to 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 keep the people, you know, uh, you know, some opiate, you know, opiate for the people as they push this other Roman horde, you know, Trojan yep. horse thing I, to us.
2: Yeah, that's why I, I described that on Twitter a few days ago. I described CRT as a Marxist shell game. That, that's exactly what you just described, uh, David. It's a shell game. It's got you thinking uh, and, and looking and focusing on on what's happening over here, while distracting you and not while you're That's not paying right. at attention to what's going on over here. This is you. You just described David exactly what I said earlier, where when I when I talked about critical race theory being the most racist, hateful, vengeful worldview that I've ever come across. What you just said, what you quoted there from Ibram X. Kendi, is just another form of ethnic prejudice yeah. do you do you do you right. really does he really expect us to believe that all these uh solutions uh, as he as he deems them are going to be without prejudice without bias without favoritism without partiality absolutely not he's literally describing I want a government set up upon ethnic partiality he's yep. absolutely admitting this in his own words. You couldn't get more uh, unbiblical than that. Scripture is clear that God is a, when God says, when scripture says God is not a God of partiality, he means that. I love Leviticus 19.15, where it says, where God commands, he says, you shall not be partial to the poor, nor to the great. So even in God's eye, he is, God is so pure. He is so just. He is so righteous that it is a sin even for us to show partiality to the poor. But what, what does social justice do? Social justice gives deference to the poor. Critical race theory gives deference to not just the poor, but black poor. White poor, see, critical race theory couldn't care about you. Matter of fact, there are, certain, there are certain aspects of critical race theory that makes you think they just want white people done away and just obliterated from the planet altogether. But when you look when you listen to Kendi, just listen to the presuppositions that are intrinsic to his assertions there. Racial inequality. What is that? Define that. This, is, this was a problem with the book Divided by Faith. They just threw a bunch of statistics out there and then just and then based those statistics on the presupposition that these, these uh, differences, these variances, these disparities were all racially motivated. So and this is what Kennedy is arguing. He's arguing a presuppositional worldview that's based on the presupposition that everything in society should be fair, should be equitable, especially in terms of material property. So, so th- th- this this is just really frustrating to hear, because Christians, there's there's so many evangelicals out there today who are buying into what Kendi is saying. They say, yeah, yeah, society should be more fair. Oh, really? Why? Who, who says this? Show me that in scripture where society should be more fair. No, uh, uh, but we have to, we, we have people out here who are, who are buying into that because someone like Kendi says it, and Kendi's written books. He's appeared on stage at churches. So I should give this guy. Well, well wait a minute. I
1: got I got to cut in here, uh, Daryl. Like why? it based on what you're saying, right, that, that, that life's not fair. Um, you know, the, there is this whole equity, equality thing. You know, why do we need public policy? Why do we need you know, we got folk. There are disparities in communities. You know, I, I, I go to schools that have everything and I go to schools that have absolutely nothing uh you, you know that i have seen some injustices so just to play the devil's advocate like why why do we need to work for you know for justice or or you know, why do we need any of these policies or anything that we're doing here at CCV to help the disadvantaged
2: i'm glad you asked that question david and here's the thing here's what again here's what the gospel comes into this um i think about i'm a I'm a huge history buff uh i think about a guy like neville chamberlain okay Neville Chamberlain is famous or infamous, depending on how you want to look at it, <clears throat> for uh, meeting with Adolf Hitler, getting a peace treaty signed, and then coming back to Britain, coming back to London, walking off the airplane, waving the peace treaty in his hand, as if he actually, hey, I got Hitler signed it, Hitler signed it. Well, it wasn't long after that peace treaty was signed that Hitler invaded Paris. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, so, so the question about policy, yes, let's and, and let me say this, I don't want to get too, too deep in the weeds here, but I don't like that word fight. I just don't like that word fight because, and, and, and here's why, and I get what people mean when they say that. We should, we should as Christians, as the church, we should do what we can to uh, improve uh, the lives of those um in society in the society where we live because we live in that society, we share that society with them. But we should never think that enacting a policy, a law, or a uh, protocol is going to have any effect on the human heart. We should never think that, and I think that's a mistake that we make. This is why personally speaking, obviously, I'm against abortion in every circumstance with no exceptions, okay? However, I'm not the type of guy who's going to, you're not going to see me in a march for life. You're not going to see me protesting outside of an abortion clinic because, and then listen, no offense to anyone who, who, who chooses to go that route. What I'm trying to get at here is how God works in the hearts of people. Once they hear the gospel, God, God's Holy Spirit works in the heart of that person to change their heart. So what I want the, what I want the woman to or the, or the man or the couple who's considering abortion, what I want them to do is not consider this, th- their situation on the terms of whether it's right or not to, uh, to take the life of that unborn child. What we need to get them to understand is that that unborn child bears the image of God. We've got to raise the level of how they see that child so that they see that child the same way God sees it. Yes. Okay, yes. so yes. policies, yes, let's strive for those uh, better laws, Let's strive for those. But as I've cons- consistently said, laws are only uh, effectual to the extent that our hearts are inclined to obey them or not. Amen. To Amen. obey them or not. Yeah. So that's the problem with policies. Pro- policies, and that's why I bring up Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain was naive. He didn't. Uh, he didn't. Um, he didn't take into that conversation. With Adolf Hitler, what kind of man Hitler had already demonstrated himself to be. <laughs> yep. And he thought that getting his signature on a piece of paper was gonna be pe- a piece to uh, to Britain and to Europe. The uh, man was mistaken. He's now the poster child for naivete in that, right. that regard, you Neville know Chamberlain is. So we can right, never right. separate um, uh, our uh, desire uh, for better laws, better right. policies. Right. Absolutely, because remember this, consider this. The reason I alluded to these uh, constitutional amendments earlier, the reason the 13th, 14th, 15th amendment were needed. The reason the civil rights laws and voting rights act were necessary is because after reconstruction, after the emancipation proclamation was issued, which legally outlawed slavery on in law, there were still people who in their hearts refused to abide by that law. Then you had peonage after that, Jim Crow after that, you had the black codes after that, you had the pig laws after that. You had to, there's a reason it took uh, black people in America over 100 years to get the same rights that the LGBTQ lobby. It took them less than 10. Come on, right? Because people's hearts didn't (laughs) change. Their hearts didn't change. That's why it took so long. Okay, so we can never separate uh legislation from salvation and then legislation from sanctification that's what we need Amen.
0: that'll that'll preach that and that's a that's a great place then here it's funny too david as you're saying uh as you were reading that <laughs> i hate leaving from, it here man oh no no but 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 i'll just say as you were say, reading that list from ibram kendi it was we, we just got through our state budget in, in ohio and and we just put more billions of dollars into the 22 and a half billion we already spend on education and I'm looking forward to two years from now when the public schools come back and tell us how we've underfunded them again. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, we it's will, we will, we will, right? <laughs> we will wrap there with our, our, our special guest, Daryl Harrison. Uh, and thanks again for tuning in to the narrative presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. We're grateful to discuss the gospel and race with Daryl Harrison. And if you enjoyed uh, today uh, today's episode, don't forget to subscribe anywhere where you get your podcasts. And we're your hosts, Aaron Baer and David Mahan. And we'll see you next time on The Narrative.